Hello, this is Audrey Mack. The Word of God says in 3 John 2, I wish above all things that you may prosper, be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So I pray that this message be a blessing to you. Go deep into your heart to work divine transformation, both in you and through you. So get ready, open your heart, and be blessed. So this morning, we're going to talk together that once you understand your righteousness, your relationship with God, that you are no longer a slave or a servant, you are a son of God. God, because you are not his son, you remember what we said as a son, when you receive the adoption, you are not in a sphere or in a, a favor with the father. He's trusting you to make right choices and good decisions, but you are not in a place of responsibility. Amen. We saw a little bit in that class on prayer and on righteousness what it means to have that response to be responsible. You make good choices. Amen. Because you understand it's not just about you, but it, any decision you make, anything you do will affect you, but will affect all the people around and affect the kingdom of God. Amen. And so now as a son, uh, you are a partner in God's business if you will. God has put you in that place of responsibility, amen, and he's calling you and I to reign, amen. We are called to reign. Can, can you say after me, I am called to reign. I am called to reign. Amen. Go with me to Romans 5.17. In Romans 5.17, it's one of my favorite verses. He said, those who receive abundance of grace. Now, what is grace? Unmerited favor. God's divine ability. God's generosity towards you. Amen. Hallelujah. And all of that is given to you independently of what you do or your performance and your behavior. Amen. It is given before you do anything. Amen. Because of God's nature, because of Christ's nature in you and you in Christ. Amen. He said, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You see, when you understand God's favor, God's divine ability, God's supply, endless supply, and generosity towards you, and you understand your position of favor, of rightness, and right before God, as if sin had never existed, well, it will cause you to reign. It will cause you, we are called to reign. 1 John 5, 4, 1 John 5, 4 says, He who is born of God. How many of you are born of God? Amen. Those who are born of God, what does he see? What does he say? Overcome the world. We are called more than conquerors, overcomers. You are not powerless, defenseless, at the whims of the devil. No, no. You are called to reign. You are. God sees you as an overcomer. Because you remember what he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 56. It thanks be to God who always gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. You see, as part of our inheritance is 
victory. It's part of our, it's our right as a son. I love that. You know, how many of you would like to play, what, what is your favorite sport in here? Football? You know, football? Uh, uh, how many of you would like to play, to compete, compete in the game of football, but start the game knowing that you're going to win the game? How many of you know that you're going to play a little, a little more boldly, a little more aggressively? You know what I mean? Because you know, man, no matter what, I know I'm going to win. So you relax, you rest, you play, you enjoy the game, and bam, you're a little more aggressive. Because you know I'm going to win. Amen. Amen. And so that's how it is. We are called to reign, and we are called to rule, but we know, man, we've got the victory. How great is that? You know, it says those who are born of God overcomes the world. You know, it's like how many of you, if you knew your father was the president of Ethiopia, some of you are going, <clears throat> well, you know, how many of you know that you would have a little more confidence and you would just walk a little different and you would, you know, you would know that you would, you, even though you're the son, have would have a little more weight and a little more influence. And you understand what I mean? Well, God is better than the president. He is the, the king of kings and the ruler of the universe. Amen. He rules the whole universe. And he's our daddy. Amen. And so we are called to be master over all the forces of evil. We are called to rule and reign, and we are called to reinforce God's authority. Revelation 5.10 says you have, you, that God made us kings and priests unto our God. So we've talked about our priesthood. You know, we are called to go one-on-one -on -one to approach God boldly. Amen. But uh, as a king, what is a king called to do? To rule, exactly, to reign and rule. So that's part now of our responsibility as a son of God. We are not called to go through life like, you know, whatever, kisera, sera, what will be, will be. No, no, no. We are not on this earth as sons of God in a place of responsibility. And what is our responsibility? We start to make good decisions. Why? So that we can rule and reign with God our Father. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's why Hebrew chapter 2, verse uh, 6 through 8, it says, What is man that you're so mindful of him? You've made him just a little lower of Elohim, which is God, the Trinity. You, you crowned him with glory and honor. When God sees you, he sees you crowned with glory and honor. Amen. I like that. Amen. And he said, he has set uh, uh, you over all the works of God's hand. You are the superintendent, the steward of what God has created. And he has put all things, how many? All things in subjection under your feet. Amen. And when you, you remember when Jesus came on earth, he came as a man so he could exercise authority, regain authority that the devil has stolen. And then it says, now I have authority in heavens, which he had before, but now he has authority 
on earth. And what did he do with that authority? He delegated it. He gave it to us. When you put your faith in Christ, automatically you are enrolled. You are gain authority. That authority that Jesus obtained. Amen. Luke 10, 19. Luke 10, 19 says, I give you the authority uh, to trample over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. Amen. You've got to know that. You have got to know that. You know, I'm going to give you a quick little testimony. But you know, the, when I first started on the mission field, I knew that. That in an, a, a God had given me all authority over all the works of the devil and that nothing would hurt me. In another word, it's like I had immunity here on earth because I'm not subject in Christ to that law of sin and death. You understand? And so when I left for the, to live as a missionary to India, people started to tell me, Oh, Audrey, you have got to take, you know, all those kind of vaccines and all those pills and all those things because there's lots of, you know, disease in India and a lot of problems, the food and the water and all of that. So I went to the supermarket and to the pharmacy to go and get this and to get that. And as I'm putting everything in my little, you know, cart, I hear the Holy Spirit says, are you planning on getting sick? I said, well, no. He said, look in your basket. Yes, you are making provision. You are planning. You are expecting to get sick. Well, you know what I did? I put everything back. <laughs> and that, that was 1993. So that's 21 years ago. And I have traveled in more than 45 or 50 nations. I don't know how many anymore. I've, I've traveled in some very dangerous places that would where a lot of people go there and get sick and die. I ate the food, drank the water. I never once got, you know, sick. And if for one moment I would get, I could feel my stomach would get upset, my body would get attacked, I take authority over it. And it would go. You see, why? Because I understood that God had called me to do a job. He given me authority over all the forces of evil on earth. And God, I have the word of God. Nothing shall hurt you. You see, that, that is when we understand our position with God, our place of responsibility, we've got a job to do. And that we've got to, we call to rule and reign over everything. But you see, if you don't know that, the devil will walk all over you. You see? And so we have got to know that we are called to rule and reign and have authority over anything that comes upon this earth. Amen? Because when you receive Jesus, it's like receiving a badge of authority, his name. You know, he obtained a name above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every name has to submit to that name. Amen. And so we, we've got to know that. Amen. But here it is. You see, whether you are born again 10 seconds or 50 years, we are all given the same, the same authority. You see, I have as much authority 
as a Christian, I'm not talking minister because in the ministry there are different levels of responsibility. And with greater responsibility you gain, you've got greater authority in that level. But I'm talking as the, the authority we have in the spirit world or the authority we have in this earth as a Christian. We all have the same authority in Jesus' name. But the problem is that we might all have the same authority, but some of us know how to exercise that, that authority better than others. Mm -hmm. And you see, with experience and with knowledge in the word, you start gaining greater knowledge and greater understanding on how to exercise that authority. Amen? Amen. Now, you guys had that class on believer's authority, correct? So you already know a little more. Amen? And that's good. But here is something we've got to understand. That if we don't exercise authority, God is not going to do it for us. You are in that position of authority, which is a, 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 a place of responsibility. And you remember, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we talked about it, or you heard it before, that there was, you know, one of my mentors, spiritual mentors, one of my teachers, he said that, he had Jesus appear to him one time, amen. Jesus appeared to him and started to share all kind of things with him about the ministry, about, you know, the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, a demon came and stood between him and Jesus to the point where he couldn't hear, he couldn't see him, and he couldn't hear, the, you know, clearly what Jesus was saying. But Jesus kept on talking. And he, and he got frustrated and he said, doesn't Jesus know I cannot hear? Doesn't he understand that I'm not he hearing clearly? Why is he not doing anything? And then after a while he got so frustrated, finally, I mean, he took authority, put his foot down and said, devil, demon in Jesus' name, get out of this room right now. And that little demon that was making all kind of noise just fell on the ground and then looked. And then Jesus kind of looked at it, you know, and then that demon just left. And then at the end of the conversation, he asked the Lord, now, why didn't you do anything, Jesus? You knew I couldn't hear. And Jesus answered, he said, if you hadn't exercised authority, I could not have enforced it and do. If you had not exercised, opened your mouth and exercised authority in my name, I could not have enforced it and, 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 and used power. You see, that's a mistake that most people do. They are expecting God to do something that Jesus commanded you and I to do as sons of God. You see, he is sitting at the right hand of God, but he left us here on earth to exercise authority for the kingdom of God here on earth. Amen. And we've got that responsibility. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But many Christians do not exercise their authority because they do not, number one, understand their position of righteousness and their position of authority. They are intimidated with the devil. How many of you have met Christians that are scared of the devil? They see him because that's the thing. The devil will paint himself, you know, as an all-powerful being that can force you to do anything, control you, put you under, and, and do anything he wants. But that's a big lie. He is a, a liar and the father of, of it. 
You see, you remember when Jesus said, he said uh, in the book of Luke 10, 18, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I mean, he didn't fall like flying down. He fell like lightning. It means like he was like in one. I mean, I could just imagine. Look at the, you know, the angel Gabriel, who is the archangel of, of, of the army of God. Or the, the, the host of heaven, he probably went, bam, like this, looked at the father, looked, and then Satan fell down. Amen. And, and you remember, I love that. I love that. In, in Colossians, let's look at it, Colossians 2.15. In Colossians 2.15. Come on. My computer doesn't want to cooperate. Okay. Colossians 2.15, he says that Jesus has disarmed principality and powers. It means the devil's got no more weapon. The only weapon he has is deception and lie. And he made a public spectacle of him and he triumphed over him in it. You remember in, in, in Genesis 3.15, the prophecy that God spoke, he said, the seed, the seed of woman would bruise the, the devil's head. You know what Jesus did when he triumphed over the devil and he made a public spectacle in front of all the demons in hell and in the spirit world? He went and he put his, bam, his foot on his head. And they all, I mean, he is squished under his, his foot. And he's like, ah, ah. <laughs> And all the demons, all the, the, the spirit world saw him not only defeated, disarmed, stripped of any kind of power and authority, but humiliated. And the devil knows that. That's why he's fighting against it with everything he can. With every ounce of lies and deception, he's trying to convince people that he is powerful, that he is majestic, that he is a big thing. And, you know, I remember there was a woman, you know, a, a little woman. She'd go to her pastor all the time and say, Pastor, Pastor, the devil is after me. Pray for me, Pastor. The devil again this week, he did this and he did that. The devil is after me. And the pastor just was tired because apparently he kept on talking to her, teaching her, but she couldn't hear it. She had that image of the devil being all powerful, you know. And he got so tired, he said, Lord, I'm tired of talking to her and explaining her that the devil has been defeated. You're going to have to show it to her. Please give her a revelation. And one night that woman had a dream. And in her dream, she heard a lion going, Rah! Wow! And in her dream, she's, you know, trembling. And in her dream, she's hearing that, that powerful noise, you know, rise from behind a tree and a bush. And so in her dream, she's tiptoeing, you know, going like this, trying to see, what is it? It must be a monster. It must be something. So, But she went and, and, and went. And when she went and saw behind the tree, what did she see? A little mouse with a big <laughs> megaphone. <laughs> And she saw that little mouse with that big going. Wah, wah. And all of a sudden, in her dream, she knew. God told her. I mean, she knew. This is the devil. He's just a little mouse with a big mouth. A, a, a little mouse with a big mouth. 
making a lot of noise. And that's what the devil does. But you see, once you understand that he's defeated, who he really is, and you expose the lie, and you understand who you are, and your position against him, it will give you a boldness against the forces of evil. It will make you bold. It, you, it will make you aggressive. It will, you won't even want to give him any attention. You know, that's what he wants. He wants attention. He wants us to talk about him, to give him our time and our attention. But you see, you are light. You've got Christ in you. When you walk, it is Christ walking. How can you imagine when Christ walked in a room, all the demons were shaking in their boots? All the demons said, we cannot stay here. We've got to go. You, Christ is in you. And you see, once you understand your position of authority, the problem that many Christians, the problem they have is when they are facing cancer, facing sickness, or incurable disease, or big problems that looks impossible, they are trying to deal with the enemy on face-to-face, you know, looking like this. You know, almost like, brother, give me your hand. You know, like, have you ever heard the, the, the... the, the iron, you know, when you go, uh, uh, you have a little more strength than that, don't you? Come on. Uh, uh, he's trying to be nice with me. Uh, uh. You know, that's how people picture a struggle, struggle with the, de- with the devil, you know, wrestling with the forces of evil. Uh-uh. Once you understand your position, look with me. Hallelujah. Look with me, glory to God. That's why the Apostle Paul, you know, he didn't pray for the Ephesian, the church in Ephesus. He didn't pray that God would give them more power, more authority, or more anointing, or more anything. No, no, why did he pray? He said, God, please open the eyes of their understanding that they may have. Give them wisdom and revelation that they may see the hope of their calling, that they are called sons of God to rule and reign. Show them the inheritance that they have in the saints and show them, oh glory to God, the exceeding greatness of your power towards them, in them, and through them who believe. And then look at what he, 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 he said. Not only that they would understand the power and authority they had, but that they would understand their position of authority. And this is found in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20. Through 23. He says, the power... You know, in verse 19, he said that they would get an, a revelation of the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. And towards means in us, towards us, and through us. Amen. Who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Listen now. Don't let your mind, you know, wonder. Uh, He raised from the dead and seated him, Christ, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, both in this age and in the age which is also to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head 
over all things to the church, which is his body. Now, here is a good question. Where is Christ? In the heavenly places? At the right hand of the Father? Sitting down. And it says that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, sitting down. And it says he, he is Christ far, not just above, far above all the powers, dominion, all the powers of evil. It says that Jesus is, you notice he's sitting. I mean, he's not sweating. He's not wrestling. He's sitting. And he's sitting far above all the powers of evil. All dominion, principality, powers. Amen. But you notice what he says? That God put everything under his feet. Right? So all the powers of evil are under his feet, but far, he's far above. Now question, doesn't it say that Jesus is the head? He's the head of the body, right? Who are we? The body of Christ. Now, does the body is over there and the head over here? They are connected. So, in another word, if Jesus, the head, is far above all the powers of evil, and we are the body, where are, in respect to us, the powers of evil? Far. Why? Because if they have been put under Jesus' feet, and we are the body. Where are the feet? They are connected to the body. And you know what that shows me? That even the smallest little toe of the foot is far above all the powers of evil. Which means that when you are faced with the forces of evil, whether it is sickness or a demon or whatever else, you have got to, by faith, take your spiritual position. By faith, you have got to see yourself. You see, you've got to have a mental picture and see yourself, look at yourself, not in the flesh, in this natural realm that is dominated by the five senses, don't allow yourself to go into the five senses. Go in the spirit, in, in the faith realm where you cannot see and feel and see yourself in that spiritual position. And you see, when you deal with cancer, you've got to remind yourself, I am in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. I am not sweating because I'm sitting. I'm not wrestling because I'm sitting. And I'm far above all the powers of evil. You know, that's what we were talking in prayer class yesterday, taking a heavenly perspective. Go up. And you know, if that will help you, get on a chair like this. And put a little, you know, a little something on the floor and then look at it. That's what the devil, that's what that cancer is. That's what the forces of evil is like. I am way far above. So, you know, you look pretty small. You know what I mean? 
That's what we have God by faith. That's why you walk by faith, not by sight. And by faith, you remind yourself of that spiritual position in Christ at the right hand of God, sitting down and far above all forces of evil, all principalities and power. Amen. And this is God is depending on us to do that. God has given us, has made us responsible, is giving us that authority, is expecting us to enforce it. Amen. And in order to enforce rule and reign in this world, we have got to see ourselves and walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. And by faith, we understand our place. And listen to those two verses. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, To the intent... That now, you, you notice we read Ephesians chapter 1, amen, that talks about what we have in Christ, who we are in Christ, our position of authority and our uh, uh, power in Christ. But then in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, he's continuing that same letter, isn't he? And he says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might made be known by the church, us, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. How is the devil going to know that God rules and reigns through us, through you, when we enforce that authority? Amen. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 19 says, The earnest expectation of the creatures waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The, even the creatures is groaning, waiting for us to take our place as sons of God, waiting for us to start exercising the authority and put things where they, they belong and display God's wisdom and God's power. Amen. Hallelujah. But you see, in order to exercise our authority, God has given us some weapons and he's given us an armor. Right? Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. If the Apostle Paul now in Ephesians chapter 6, you notice it's a continuation of the same thing he's teaching the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. To withstand what? The wiles of the devil, the deception of the devil. Not the power, not the muscle power. No, no, no. The deception, the, the lies, the way he maneuvers, you know. He says uh, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your, your uh, girded your waist with truth. We should always walk in truth. Lies should never be part of our, you know, our behavior. Amen. Because the moment we lie, we disarm ourselves. We let go of our belt. Amen. And you know when you let go of the belt in the Roman armor, the, uh, the belt is what holds everything together. And you let, go of you let go of truth and start lying, your whole armor goes, dun, 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 dun. fall down at your feet. You understand what I mean? 
Amen. It's not that God is in heaven and punishing you and saying, you said a lie. No, no, no. It's that when you lie and, 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 and start giving into lies, you disarm yourself. You, 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 you lose your armor. Amen. And then he said, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You notice that part of our armor to stand against the deception and the wiles of the devil is a breastplate of righteousness. Now question, where is the breastplate? What does it cover? It covers right here the vital organs. You really, it, it, the breastplate went from here all the way to here. It protected the heart and all the vital, vital organs. Amen. But you see, you notice it is a breastplate of righteousness. It means that it's a breastplate of right standing, where we know our right standing. We know our position of favor. We know that, uh, you know, it is a place of, of where there is no condemnation. But I want you to see something interesting. Because in the Old Testament, the priest, you know we call to be priests and kings, right? The priest also were given a breastplate. But let's look at Exodus 28, verse 15 and 30. Exodus, Exodus 28, 13, what did I say? 15 and 30. Verse 15 and verse 30. Exodus 28. When I saw that, I wanted to jump to the roof. Here is the armor of the priest. He said, you shall make the priest a breastplate of judgment. The priest had a breastplate, but his breastplate that covered his heart was a breastplate of judgment. And verse 30, the same thing. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment. What did it mean? It meant that under the old covenant, remember they were under the law, and they were always, always conscious of their sin. And they were always conscious of judgment. Amen. Under the law, there were always the law brought condemnation, brought wrath, brought death, brought con amen and judgment. They were always aware. Amen. They always went into the holy of holies, wearing that breastplate of judgment, knowing that if something was not done right, judgment would fall. They were always next to their heart, were conscious of judgment because of sin, but. Did you notice that the Christian in Christ, sons of God, we are no longer have to bear the judgment upon our heart. Now we have a breastplate of righteousness. What we remind ourselves is the favor of God. What we keep close to our heart is the, the, the favor of God, that there is now no condemnation. There is now due judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, glory to God. And that breastplate of, of, of righteousness, what does it, is it supposed to do? To protect your heart. To protect your vital organs, especially your heart. Why? Why has God given us a breastplate of righteousness, which speaks of love, favor, righteousness, right standing with God, no condemnation. Why? Because the strategy, 
number one of the devil in order to paralyze you and neutralize you in the kingdom of God and to keep you powerless is going to attack your heart with feelings of condemnation, unworthiness, complex of inferiority, fear, and all, all of the, the, the list goes on. Go with me in 1 Peter 5, 8. Do you, do, do you notice when you start feeling condemned or unworthy or afraid, what does it do to you? It paralyzes you against the enemy. You've got not got no strength, no boldness, no, no nothing, no faith to speak to him and tell him to leave. He paralyzes you with those feelings of condemnation, of fear, of complex, of inferiority, shame, and unworthiness. You remember 1 Peter 5, 8. We've all heard that verse. Peter is talking about the devil. And he says that the devil, he says, be sober, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, uh, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion. Why is he using that term or that picture of a roaring lion? Why? Let me ask you that. Who is the lion of Judah? Christ, Jesus Christ, God is the lion of Judah. Go with me, if you will, to Proverbs 19.12. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Proverbs 19.12 says that the king, who is the king? With the BK. Well, we are called to be kings, but who is the king of kings? Jesus. Jesus. We are kings, but Jesus is the king of kings. The king of the universe. And in Proverbs 19.12, he said, The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion. Now, when you put those two together, what does, it, what does it mean? What does it show us? You see, under the old covenant, there was the wrath of God for sin because of the law. And sin had to be judged, right? That's why they brought sacrifices, amen, so that wrath wouldn't come, amen? When Jesus hung on the cross, what fell upon him? The wrath of God. It says in Isaiah, remember, it pleased God. It pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God for our sake to put and pour all of his wrath on Jesus. God, the Father, did that. The King did that, pour his wrath on Jesus. But you see, why is the devil coming as a roaring lion? Because he's going to judge you. It's going to condemn you. It's going to make you feel unworthy, shameful, inferior, guilty. And he'll make you think it comes from the king, from God. That's why he comes roaring as a lion. As a lion who is the God, the king. Do, do, do you see the, the parallel here? It says that the king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion. Because God, I mean, when God is going to get ready to judge all those who rejected Jesus, you know, when God is going to be ready to judge the earth and is the last judgment, it's not going to be pretty. 
You, you see what I'm saying? But the devil comes as passing himself for God. You see, if he came to try to make you feel guilty and you knew that was him, you would tell him, get out. But he's trying to pass himself as the king. And how does he try to pass himself as a king to act and roar as a lion? To make you think that it is God who is judging you, that it's God who is condemning you, who it's God who is making you feel guilty, unworthy, and inferior. That's why the majority in the church today, they will talk about the conviction of the Holy Spirit that makes you feel guilty and condemns you. If you feel, ah, it's because it's the Holy Spirit that is. Do you know what I mean? The majority of the church, they will, they, will, they will preach the wrath of God to the Christian today, saying, if, you know, if you don't repent, God is going to judge you. You know, if there is an earthquake, you know, in Japan, it's the judgment of God. It's the wrath of God. That's what the devil does. He does best. He's such a master at lying and deception that he passes himself as the king. And he roars as the roaring of the lion and passes himself as God judging and condemning people. And the people, they don't know it. They're not aware of it. They don't know their righteousness. They'll believe it. And you know what will happen? They will be powerless paralyzed, neutralized, and never be able to stand against the devil and tell him to stop. Never be able to cast out demons, to heal sickness, and to do the works of God. Do you see how he works? This is why God is given us not a, a breastplate of judgment. He's given us a breastplate of righteousness to cover a heart Amen. With all feelings and, 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 and those, those feelings of condemnation, guilt, and shame, and fear. We have God to keep that breastplate on. Don't take it off. Keep it on. How do you keep, how do you put that breastplate on? And how do you keep it on? Number one, by accepting by faith that you are righteous and right before God. Even, especially when you mess up. You have God by faith to remind yourself, those feelings are not from God. They're from the devil because I don't have a breastplate of judgment. I have a breastplate of righteousness. And by faith, you remind yourself, I am right before God because God, I have favor with God. God loves me and he's not there to judge me, but the Holy Spirit is there to minister righteousness to me. Amen. The number two, you got to continually be conscious of your position of favor before the Father. Number three, you start acting and talking like it is so. Start acting and talking like a righteous person by faith. You see, you know we've talked about that faith without work is dead. Amen. And by faith, you accept you are righteous. God is not condemning you. He's not, you know, making you feel guilty or unworthy. On the contrary, he's trying to minister righteousness to you to get you out of that feeling of, of inferiority and condemnation and guilt. Amen. And so you've got to accept it and start walking like it is so. By faith. Amen. And then before, you've got to be grounded in the love the Father has for you. 
Never doubt thy love. That's why Paul prayed that we would get a revelation how I, and be rooted and grounded in the love of God. That we would know how deep, how high, how long, how wide is the love that God had for us. And that nothing can separate us from the love the Father has for us because God is not against us. He is for us. And he knows we are fighting against the devil that will try to lie to us, deceive us, and paralyze us so we can do, we cannot exercise authority. Amen. That's why, go with me to Isaiah 61.3. Isaiah 61.3 and 54.14. The Bible says that we may be called, called, excuse me, oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that God may be glorified. You see, when you plant yourself in your righteousness, knowing who you are in Christ, this position of rightness and favor with God, you become established. You, like an oak, what does an oak? You see, I've got oaks around my house. Those trees are so huge. And how many of you know there are many hurricanes in Florida? There are hurricanes, there are tornadoes, but you know those trees have been there for hundreds of years. They stay planted. Why? Because they've planted roots. And they become established. That's why God is calling us oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. God wants us to be planted in that righteousness. Not like, you know, how, uh, let, me, let me move forward. Isaiah 54, verse 14. Isaiah 54, verse 14 says, In righteousness you shall be established, you, and you shall be far, you shall be far from oppression. Amen. And you shall not fear. You see, when you plant yourself in your righteousness, it's like, You've got that breastplate of righteousness. You are planted in your position of favor and love. You, you grow roots deep down. And when the oppression comes, it doesn't move you. When condemnation, condemnation comes, it doesn't move you. When fear comes, it doesn't move you. You are established in that position. And that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be established in that position of righteousness. Amen. He does not want us to go up and down. You know, that is the sign of an immature Christian, a child or a baby Christian. Did you notice baby Christian, their emotions go up and down. One day, I mean, they're on top of the mountain. They know God loves them. The next day, they do something bad. They're at the bottom of the valley. They're like, why God is rejecting me? And they just walk away from God. That's what I called a yo-yo Christian. What is it? It is a Christian that is not, does not understand his righteousness and that is not planted and established in that position of righteousness. Listen to Hebrew chapter 5. Hebrew chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. So apparently, uh, the, 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 I think it's Paul again, the author of Hebrews, but it's not proven completely. He said, though by this time you ought to be teachers. So apparently people had been taught for quite a while. 
He said, though you should, you ought to be teachers, you need again someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God or the word of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For Listen to this. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. And he's a babe. You see, a, a spiritual child is, a, is someone who is not planted in righteousness and is not skilled in the word of righteousness. Who does not understand his position, who he is. He goes up and down, up and down in his emotion and in his place with God. One day his relationship is strong, the next day it's at the bottom. And he goes up, why? Because he's not established and skilled in the word of righteousness, in those truths about righteousness. They're not planted in that place of love and favor. You see? So that's what God wants us to do. And here it is. And I will close with that. You see? How can you be a child? There is three areas in which we need to be skilled in the word of righteousness. Three areas that we need to be planted in our position of righteousness. There is number one, the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, you see what it is. Taking authority against the forces of evil. Amen. That is really the least part of authority. Because you know the devil has been defeated. Really. He's lost. He's defeated. He's spoiled of all power and, and weapons. And it, it, well, his only weapon is lie and deception. And well, he's killed at that. But you see, once you know your righteousness, you know your position of authority, you know your weapons, you keep your heart, your armor on, the, the devil is really no match, you understand. So the first place where we, we've got to be skilled in our righteousness and in the word of righteousness, our position of righteousness is in the physical realm against the devil. Amen. The number two, the physical realm. That is getting a little harder. Amen. Your greatest enemy is really not the devil. Your greatest enemy is your flesh. Amen. And, and, and we've got to learn to establish our righteousness and be skilled in our righteousness in the physical realm, which means disciplining your flesh. You see, that's why the Bible says we are slave of righteousness. Now your spirit doesn't want to sin, cannot sin, and you've got to become skilled knowing who you are in your righteousness. And that motivates you to deny your flesh, to crucify your flesh, to walk in that righteousness. Do you understand? Yes. Amen. How, and, 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 and if you, you know, we'll, we'll talk. That's what we're going to talk in the next class together. We're going to start talking about that. Amen. In, 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 in relating to righteousness. Uh, that's what Romans 6.12 says. Do not let sin reign in your body that you should obey its lust. So you need to gain authority, exercise authority. By being planted in your righteousness in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, again, your flesh. But then, you see, those two, your authority against the devil, authority against your flesh, will really be effective when you exercise authority and you understand your righteousness in the third realm, which is the soulish realm, against your thought. Because the real battle really is in your thought. You know, Joyce Meyer said, the mind 
is the battleground of the devil. That's why he fights the, the hardest. It's in your head. Amen. Because as a man thinks in his heart, in his mind, so easy, so dazzy. And so that's why we've got to exercise authority, dominion in our thought life. 2 Corinthians 10.5. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, cast down arguments and every high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Bring that's how you exercise authority. You bring down every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And Philippians 4 8 gives us a key here. He says, meditate. You see, your, 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 one way we can clear our mind is by starting to meditate on things that are true, that are noble, just pure, lovely, of a good report. Amen. And so in, in, I'm going to conclude with that one thought. That in order to exercise authority over the forces of evil, you cannot allow any sin consciousness in your heart. You cannot allow those feelings of guilt, of condemnation, of inferiority, shame, fear, amen. You cannot let any doubt and complex inferiority in your heart. Any, any unworthiness that will be disguised as humility. That's how it'll make the devil make you think you're humble when you start to degrade yourself and see yourself so inferior and unworthy and capable. That is not humility. That is self-centeredness, which is a result of pride. Because when you are Christ-centered, you understand who you are. It's not you, but it's Christ in you. Then uh, you and, and what it does, if you allow those feelings of, of, of sin consciousness, it will create self-righteousness, which is your greatest enemy. Self trying now to be worthy by your own effort. You see, you cannot allow sin consciousness in your heart. And that because it will lead to depression, to discouragement and defeat. It will defeat you. But I know what you're thinking. You said, but when I sin and when I make a mistake, for example, I cheated or I lied or I, you know, does it mean I just ignore it so that I don't have that sin consciousness? I just ignore it and pretend it, I've never sinned? Well, that's a very good question. But if you come back in the next class, we'll answer it in detail. Amen. Because here is a key. We have got to get rid of sin consciousness and receive the gift of righteousness and the grace of God if we want to rule and reign against the enemy. But we'll discover how to do that. Amen. God bless you. For more information on GoTel Ministry, our teaching, our itinerary, and to discover the many testimonies of those who have been touched and healed by the power of God, you may visit our website at www.gotelministry.org. And remember, that Jesus came to give you life and life in abundance.